Hi, this is Yulia, and you're listening to Everybody Cooks with Water, the Comfort Podcast. The guest on this episode is actually the person who inspired the entire podcast. I met him at the beginning of my journey in California, and we immediately became very close friends. He is one of the smartest people I've met, an incredibly kind human being. And he agreed to open up about some of his darkest periods. When I met him almost two years ago, he was a PhD student at Stanford University. And yes, I've already had a PhD student at Stanford University on this podcast. But Mati's journey is different. At some point, he realized that was not the right path for him. The episode is very honest and very intense. Mati talks about things he's learned on his journey and some things he is still working on. And I hope you will find his advice as comforting as I did. Now we're in the sweet spot. That sound good? Wow. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. It's a very intimate setting. It is a very intimate setting. Well, Thank you for being here on the podcast with me. Glad to be here. Um, Now, I usually start by asking my guests to tell me where they're at in their life. But I want to do something a bit different with you. So I'm going to like ask the first question that is very important for this podcast, which is what is your definition of success? Oh, man, that is a incredibly tough thing to answer. Um, Success has meant a lot of different things throughout my life. I think that historically I could put it down at least up until the past couple of years as what would maximize somebody saying wow to my resume. That's what success was. It was day by day looking for new avenues where somebody external to myself could really take a look and say, dang, that person is leading an impressive life. But over time, that definition really started to shift. I realized in the past couple of years in particular that as I was marching down that path, I was living much more for the external validation of others than for personal sources of joy or what I now consider success, which is a more critical feeling of self value and a successful life being one where I am constantly monitoring how I feel what I'm working towards, the impact it has on me and the people I love. And that's what success is now. How did that change happen happen in your life? (laughs) With chaos. Um, That's how it happened. I, so for so long, I've, I've, if I may be so blunt, I've had pretty good success from my old definition. Um, Went through a Ivy League institution, finished top of my class, ended up working at the world's biggest company, and was considered successful there by peers, you know, made good friends and then ended up at a top academic institution. Um, But when I finally got to the quote unquote top academic institution, trying to fulfill some destiny almost that I had built up in my own brain, I started to really question how many more times I would go through that same process of looking for the next thing that said it's the top or it's the best. And I think it really came to a head when I was starting to think about, you know, 
the real lifetime that I want to achieve, what I want to do over it. Um, a couple of different things factored into why that came to mind at the time. I was beginning work in a lab and finding that every day I would go into that lab and I'd be miserable, even though it was my mandate for my success to enjoy it. I didn't really love it. And every day it felt more and more like I was walking into a brick wall and banging my head against it. So that was one thing. Um, I had some major personal turmoil, life changes, you know, a uh, significant other left me and it made me really reevaluate, you know, what my priorities in life were um, and, you know, what my incentive structure was. Why did I care so much about some perceived thing 5, 10, 15 years from now when there were things that were making me happier in the short term um, that I still could see contributing in the long term to a much happier version of myself. And I finally started to just let myself feel more happiness. Um, you know, I went through a period of pretty severe depression. And I've gone through periods of that in my life before uh, where it's gotten pretty dark. And the prior times I've generally said, well, it's OK, you're just going to get to the next milestone and that's what's going to make you happy. And finally, about a year or two ago, I finally went through the first version of that where I said to myself, wait, you've been saying this for the past 10 years. When are you actually going to get to that thing you keep saying will happen when you achieve that next milestone? And so I think just enough repetition finally made me realize that I was in a vicious cycle and it was time to change. You were, I think, of all persons, of all people I've met in California, the one who made me think I wanted to do something like this because as you discovered about yourself, I discovered about you. And I think there are many, many people like you who at some point in their life had a definition of success that made them miserable. And I was part of the public that was very impressed with your resume. So I would like look at you and I was like, damn, what is happening here? Uh, and then I talked to you and you opened up so candidly about everything that went on in your life. And I was like, oh, OK, so, well, maybe it's not um, as I mean, it is as successful as I think it is, but it's not everything that matters in life to have those milestones achieved, because there are so many other things that are going wrong for this person uh, and they are like honest about it. So I think you were the person that made me realize I wanted to explore what was happening behind the facade of, yeah, great success in life. So you were the inspiration for this oh. podcast. <laughs> you were. <laughs> and I also saw like incredibly proud of the journey that you're on. Um, and I want to go a bit back to something that we have talked about in another conversation that we've had. That is, how did you um, create the original definition of success you had for yourself? Was it your family? Was it mm. the institution you were in? Yeah, no. Um, so I, I grew up in the Bay Area, and I think that there were several things that really fed into this vision of success. So the first one, which I think really impacts a lot of people, is family. You know, I grew up in a very high-achieving family that expected a lot. Uh, education was always a priority in my household. Both of my parents are fairly deep in the sciences and were always very proud of their own intellectual achievements. Um, there was a lot of support behind it, but there was also a lot of pressure behind that. You know, I think that sometimes, uh, especially from, from, you know, like a father figure type when, uh, every day you're 
really trying to be already the top just from what you perceive as your own pressure. And then you slip up a little bit and they kind of push you to be like, why did you slip up in that way? You start saying, OK, slip ups aren't OK. And instead, the the merit of what I can contribute is continued success, especially in an academic setting, uh, but demonstrating this kind of technical prowess and making it so that my education is worth something. Um, and so once you get into that cycle, you start thinking, OK, well, I've been good at science and that's what my family has. Therefore, I'm going to go do you know, science into the future. Then once you've done that enough and you're actually looking at college and you're told, OK, well, you should get an engineering degree because you have this technical capability. You don't push back because what else do you know? You know, that as your metric of success. And then when you get out of college, you're like, well, I just got an engineering degree. I guess I'm an engineer. And you keep building that up. So that that was one big pressure was, you know, coming from a bunch of very intelligent loving but sometimes pressuring family uh with high achieving not just parents but sibling as well and hearing certain things as being uh negative re or positive reinforcement it feels like for doing better quote unquote in say school or or whatever these meritocracy items of science and technology are um but having that then become the value function for how you value your life in a happiness kind of way um, it eventually subsumes everything else and you start affiliating joy with this. How does it look to my resume in, say, science, technology, engineering, even if at the time I still loved constitutional law or history or or working with teams or things that I now realize other people do value. Uh, but it took a while to see that. So that's one prong. Um, another thing, frankly, is growing up in the Bay Area was a little bit of a a weirdness you know everybody talks about the california lifestyle and everybody's laid back and oh man like it's just beach days and all that and yeah that might be true in socal i'm not gonna say that it's not but uh, growing up in the bay area there was always this like well if you don't have a startup you're not successful if you're not like top of your game you're not successful oh you don't have a graduate degree well you're basically irrelevant you know and so i grew up basically thinking like college was just there was no brainer. Nobody didn't go to college. If you didn't go to college, something was wrong. Um, and then going to graduate school was just assumed that 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 was the the lifestyle. And uh, then, you know, carving out your piece. Well, everybody around here made their money in silicon or in software. And so if you wanted to be successful in this area. You were playing with silicon or software. Um, I decided to play with silicon and I still love it. I still love material science, you know, growing up in a family that loves crystals almost all of our family vacations we're going rock collecting or things like that there is a lot of joy in it and i don't want to undersell that joy but it was when that joy was subsumed by this view of what meritocracy was and therefore what i needed to aspire to be on paper um, replacing actually just what i find joyful yeah what what did you discover you find joyful and and how are you integrating that into your life now? Oh man. Um, well, step one of finding joy was, uh, finding floorball, um, sport that I love. It actually brought me back to my roots. I used to play hockey on the field with my friends in high school, um, every day. And it was just something that brought me so much joy back then. And I think I had gotten so down the rabbit hole of not knowing how to find joy that being able to reconnect with, things that I loved as a kid in the past year or two kind of gave me a, not just a outlet of like 
where I can feel happier or where I can just be myself from like when I was a kid. But it also started making me think, what else did I like when I was a kid? What else? Like, why did I move down this path when there are other things that I actually do find more joy in? And it let me start thinking about like, oh, maybe I should listen to a constitutional law podcast or maybe I should embrace you know, aspects of startups or companies where it's much more team oriented and more leadership and like finding out what people like and customer oriented and product and sales and things that wouldn't have been in the pathway for me otherwise. But that as I started picking apart, like, oh, that's where I'm happy. I love going to people and talking with people. And, you know, I I don't want to just be at a microscope for 10 hours. You know, I want to be at a conference table. People hate meetings or people hate, you know, going and meeting a bunch of people. I'm not that person. I love that side of things. And so finding floorball helped. Um, Then other areas of joy as that, as I just mentioned, you know, started falling out. And I think also being much more conscious of the fact that life doesn't have to be linear brought me a lot of joy and a lot of comfort because I already had been a little bit off of a linear path by going first to industry, then back to academia. Um, And I would have hoped at least at that point that that would have given me enough information to have made the right choice. But what I've heard constantly from wonderful mentors and from friends who I care dearly about, especially the one sitting across the table, is life isn't linear. Life can be chaos and embracing that chaos for some is terrifying and it still is terrifying on some days. But on other days, it's been the most comforting thing that's happened in the past year because now it's like, okay, I learned that I don't like sitting at that microscope. Is it okay to be joyful about the fact that I learned that as opposed to being pissed at myself that I didn't see it before? No, I'll find joy in in the realization. And um, applying that mentality more and more has not just been healthier and helped me, frankly, be less depressed and, and less frustrated. Um, it's It's helped me really build up my own self-confidence again. Um, but this time, not because I have something on paper, because I actually just feel more confident. And as a result, doors start opening and people start talking and people receive well when you are feeling more in your element, even when you have to turn to somebody that has spent five years of PhD, 10 years as a professor, knows only academia. Um, just yesterday, I had a meeting with somebody that spent an hour and a half trying to convince me to stay in the PhD. And at the end of it, I gave them my confident answers as to why it still wasn't right. And they said, well, if I could change your mind, I would because we're losing somebody that I think could be good for this. But I really have to admire that you've made a tough decision and that you're sticking with it. And I can see how it's making you happy. And that was powerful because I usually haven't done that historically. And it felt good. I didn't feel too stressed walking away from that conversation. The past me would have been mortified. I would have said, well, what did I do wrong? Oh, my God, why am I doing this? Holy cow. And that, those moments still happen. I'm not going to pretend they don't. But yeah, that's amazing. Um, I'm wondering also about all the people that you had on your journey with you. And if you had if you've had to give up on some people or if some people gave up on you because you decided I'm not going to be this person anymore and I'm going to change my idea of success and I'm going to work towards something different. Did you like lose some people on the way because they didn't Mm. change their mentality along with you? Um, Some relationships ended. Um, Not too many ended. I'd say several did very much change though. Um, You know, I think if, if you surround yourself with good people, good people will truly listen and try to understand and 
they might not agree with the final conclusion, but they'll be supportive because they can't put themselves in their own in your in their in your spot. Um, but there are definitely people that have not understood, um, and some of whom make assumptions as to why things have changed. I mean, I, I don't blame them either. You know, if somebody had come to me and said two years ago, "Oh, I'm going to spend the next five years, you know, pushing the boundaries of this field of engineering." And then two years later was like, uh, JK, that's not for me. I probably would have had my reservations and would have said, well, that feels like, oh, they're not strong enough to spend the time in the lab or they're not, you know, driven enough or they didn't find the right mentor or. And, you know, what? I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that those very same thoughts haven't come through my mind. I mean, just by being able to say them, clearly they have. Um, but. I think those relationships that are strongest and the ones that I want to maintain in my life are the ones that are willing to listen and, and understand. Um, so I wouldn't say anybody that I would say I love or deeply care for has, I mean, even maybe the most fascinating thing is, you know, I built up in my head this expectation of like satisfying this almost uh, familial destiny or, or this, uh, I need to be the scientist too. And then I went to my family and told them my decision. And my sister was like, yeah, we never got why you're doing it. My mom was like, you should go be a plumber in Reno. Like, we don't care. Like, go find something that makes you happy. And my dad was like, yeah, I never saw you doing lab research. I always thought you'd be a lawyer or something. And it's like I've built up in my brain that there's this expectation partially, you know, and, and part of it does come down to things that were said um, in the past. And and I brought them up even to family members and they're like, oh. Yeah. Okay. can see how that happened, um, especially as you're developing and you're like, you become convinced, convinced, convinced of something. Um, and then, you know, part of it is just I built an echo chamber in my own brain. And um, so now that I have talked with these people, you know, people that are very close to me, people that I thought had this intrinsic pressure, people that I thought might say your decision's bad and like, like we can't support you, basically. And instead gotten the exact opposite reaction. It's like, okay, well, like maybe this nonlinearity thing is something to embrace a little yeah. bit more. I mean, I'm thinking of all also the other people that might experience something like this or that might be striving for what you wanted at the beginning without realizing all the things that they could lose on that path. And I'm wondering, like, have you thought of becoming a mentor to other people that might find themselves in similar mm. situations as you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, ironically, the thing that brought me to the PhD was I was convinced I wanted to be a professor, right? I wanted to be a mentor. I wanted to be a teacher. And that hasn't changed one iota. Uh, what did change was I had presupposed what I should be a teacher in, what I should be a mentor in um, because of these cardinal rules of success. You know, these ideas that like, oh, I have an X.0 GPA that is really dang good. Therefore, this is where my joy lies. Um, whereas I do see myself being more of like a, a communicator towards the realities of what, you know, being industry or science or engineering or technology. Um, I'd love to be that type of role for people. And, you know, I, I'll be the first one to say that there are people out there that love being in the lab and love doing research. And there are people that don't love research, but love elements of a PhD, um, for instance. And I know we're focusing on the PhD thing, obviously, because it's fresh. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, 
I definitely will never say that my experience discouraged me from the concept of a PhD. You know, there are elements that I didn't like as much. There are things that didn't jibe with me personally, but everybody's different. And so I would love to be able to contribute to to folks that are like deciding if they want to go through that process. You know what my personal perspective was with the full truth that like this is just my opinion. I, I mean, many of my closest friends are. Uh, you know, second year PhDs in material science, chemical engineering, you know, they're doing really cool stuff. They're working on really fascinating problems. And I'm just so excited whenever I hear them talking because you can hear the passion, you can hear the joy. And in some cases, you can hear the strain in their voice. They're not as passionate. They're not as happy. They're wondering, you know, I've been helping coach somebody. I don't know why they asked me to coach them, but I've been helping coach somebody through they're having their own doubts year three in the PhD. And they're like, how did you do it? How did you leave? And I was like, you take a step out the door, but make sure that, you know, what do you like? What do you dislike? I, I'm not going to be here to recommend you do this because there's a lot of stress in it, too. But but if it's the right fit, life isn't linear. If you decide in five years, oh, dang, I wish I had my Ph.D. because there's this job I really want. Well, then go and get your Ph.D. You know, it's it's not like anybody is holding you to a script or saying that you have to follow the linear path. In fact, a lot of people if you're a good storyteller, prefer the nonlinear path. You know, they get joy out of hearing the weird topsy-turvy. If, if you just follow the same linear story every single time, like a Hallmark movie, we all know how it ends, you know, and that's no fun. That's yeah. boring as hell. Yeah, so. I agree. Um, when you, I mean, I know you had a good support system now that you decided to leave the PhD. Um, how was it when you were uh, in your undergrad and you had those moments of like, dark depression did you have anyone to lean on like mentors or how did you go through those years i didn't go through them well i didn't really have good mentors during that time period i mean there there were lovely people in my life very supportive people in my life my family being there you know um when the first real bad bouts of depression hit my sister flew out to visit me um later on my dad would fly out to visit me it's not easy to get to ithaca if you've ever been to ithaca I assure you, you know how tough it is to get there because there's like three flights a day and 90% of the time, especially in the winter, they aren't flying. And so it was great to have that familial support, but they were on another coast. And even then I felt a certain type of pressure, um, which meant that I didn't always feel like I could communicate what I was feeling. Um, I definitely communicated a lot less than I probably should have. Um, I went to counseling. I didn't feel it was too helpful for me. You know, and that was pretty dark because I was like, if these are the professionals mm. to help and I'm not feeling much support, what do I do with this? There were some professors that understood. In fact, most of the professors understood when I would tell them, like, I'm late for an assignment because I've had an issue or I've just hasn't been. I eventually realized it was fine to be transparent and say I was mentally unwell. I'm not doing so well. Um, and those people were wonderful. They were supportive. But even there, it was kind of one offs, you know, and as a result. I think I felt like, especially during my time at at Cornell, um, not to name Cornell specifically, but just my time in university, I, I did feel very isolated. And especially at the time um, that it started really first surging, which was around sophomore year, um, I thought I had a strong support network. You know, I thought I had people I could lean on. But at some of my darkest times when I turned to some of those people that I thought I could lean on, um, They didn't pick up the phone. You know, they literally did not pick up the phone. And even when I would leave a voicemail, that said, like, I need you to call me back and help me. I would maybe get a text back, you know, and that made me feel 
not just like I didn't have support, but it made me feel like I wasn't worth support. Um, and so I stopped trying to lean on her. And there were some dark times as a result yeah. of that. Well, thank you also for sharing this. Um... I'll share anything with you, Yulia. <laughs> but I think it's very important to openly talk about these things, also to make other people that um, maybe going through similar things realize that they're not alone. And I think that's also a bit the point of this podcast, um, both for people who are going through a dark period and think that everyone else has it figured out and they're the only ones who are stuck in the black hole, that it's not like that. But also for people who think that um, the only important thing to achieve are the ones that, you know, society deems as successful, our society. And there are so many other things. And so I want to ask you one last question that is more about what's happening now in your life and exciting things. So uh, if you look a bit at the next couple of months or the next couple of years, what are some things that excite you and that you're working on and that you're proud of? Yeah. So I think the first thing that's really exciting is how little I do have planned. Uh, this is the first time in my entire life where I don't know what's happening two months from now, let alone six months, one year, five years from now. I've always been the type that says, well, my life is linear or I need to have a map. I need to have a plan. And I'm for the first time really embracing the. No, you don't. You know, now I say that flippantly and, and I know there are aspects that are still like, yeah, I'm scheming in the background. I know my brain well enough to know that. Yeah, there's a bunch of things I've thought in parallel that I can be doing this, can be doing that. X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Um, so I, I won't go so far as to say that, like I'm devoid of thought, um, but really embracing the fact that right now I just want to live in the moment. You know, I'm graduating in June, three, four years before I was planning on it. And I just want to go out in the sun, spend time with friends enjoy some wine, you know, like that's enough for now. Um, and so that's, that's really exciting. That is the first most exciting thing in the next couple of years. Now on the side, I've decided that if there's an opportunity that sounds exciting any given day, I'm just going to say yes to it, you know, and what exciting means can be a whole variety of things. I I've always loved, as I said earlier, uh, developing sort of team relationships, helping people, you know, connect to that kind of network effect without being networky, being just more of a natural, organic process of connecting people that should be connected because that's the way this world works, frankly. Um, so, for instance, I'm consulting for a couple of startups on the side. I've been just chatting with random CEOs and COOs in places that I, I believe in their mission. You know, I believe in what they're working on. And yeah, I might not be in the lab helping build the next reactor for a very specific type of clean energy technology. Um, I'm not going to push the needle in academia that way, but I have some skills that I love leveraging. I love talking. I love people. And so talking with individuals that need those skills in their team and that are working on important things, that's what's exciting right now. And so I look forward to maybe in uh, two months with the follow on episode, I can tell you what I'm actually doing, but for now, it's just embracing the chaos. Uh, today, uh, right after this, I'm going to be meeting with somebody that, you know, was a mentor in the past that is now currently struggling with very much the skill set I can provide. And it only came up in the past week, you know, and if I had already lined up the next thing six months from now, you know, and if I was or if I was deep in my PhD, that wouldn't even have rolled into my lap. And so 
embracing that, embracing that chaos and seeing where it takes me. That's what's exciting right now. You just listened to Mati on Everybody Cooks With Water. If you'd like to spread comfort, you can share this episode with someone you care about. Thank you for listening. And until next time.